And hello, sir. Hello, people, and we are live once again from the um, Horseshoe Bar, 7B. Yep. And today we're talking about one of the most important albums. Yes. That we ever fucking talk about. Definitely. And this is the Rock Show episode 49. Yep. And uh, welcome back. What are we talking about today? Uh, welcome back, subject. every. Welcome back, everybody, to the Rock Show. Um, what we're talking about today is uh, one of the most important albums ever in the history of rock and roll, and that's the Rolling Stones' Exile on Main Street. Uh, this is part of a new format we're doing where we're going to be talking about the making of certain albums by certain bands. Instead of giving a whole history of the band, we'll talk about one specific album. And uh, I wanted to talk about this one because personally, this is one of my favorite albums of all time. It's in my top ten. Uh, it's a great album to get lumped up to. This is a okay. great fucking album. Uh, I don't recall too many sober moments with this album, but it's a, it's a great album. Uh, it's, to me, it's the Stones' best album. Uh, it was a, at a height of uh, a totally decadent period for the band in the early to me, 70s. From off the Rock to uh, Soul Survivor. It rocks off to Soul one Survivor. One of the best fucking albums. 18 tracks. 18 uh, tracks. It's, it's a sloppy, muddy production uh, the, I'm going to go into the making of this How they got this sound And what they did uh, But they started this album in 1969 69. Yes, yes So this wasn't an album that they were like Oh, right, we're going to do this album This album took time You know, the Stones always had leftovers from other albums Yeah, but this okay. is to the point that they even left England And most of the album was down the south of France Yes, Yes, so, the, the seeds of this album. And then when the album came out, the final recorder was down in Los Angeles. Yep, they remixed so it there. This yeah. album traveled. Yes, it did. It did. It went from this, England to France to LA. Because what happens? What happened to the Rolling Stone in England? <laughs> well, they were tax exiles. Okay, the reason was was because by 1971, the tax rate for the Stones was 93%. Uh, yeah. They were broke. They were broke. They were broke. They, they yeah, had, but why were they broke? Because the they, well, they didn't, they didn't, they didn't, they didn't want to be broke. That's but, why they left. But they weren't okay. making money. The no, Alan Klein, Alan Klein. They had, they had been in, in, involved with manager Alan Klein. Okay, they were suing to get out of that contract with him. He was gaining control of the earliest stuff when they were on uh, Abco <laughs> and Decca and stuff like that. But. But they were a commercial success. They already had like yeah, but job but he on. owned he the contract was bad and he owned bad the rights contract. to a lot of songs and they were trying to get control of that. Who does this sound like? The Kinks. Kinks, and yeah, there well, was a lot of bands at that time got ripped off. Um, people think you know at the height of British the British invasion, of Beatlemania and, and and Stones mania. You thought these guys were making millions? Oh well, yeah. They, they, on paper they were, but in reality they weren't. The right, they were, were getting shit everything. on. Yeah. Now, like you say, um, th this Danny, what's up, baby? Hello out Lumped there. Up. All right. Um, Exile on Main Street came out on May 12, 1972, uh, but it was the seeds of it actually started in 1969 and 1970 over at Olympic Studios in England, and also at uh, Mick Jagger's Stargroves Country House. In yeah. England. What they used at Stargroves was a mobile studio in a truck. Uh, it was something that they were used to, yeah. and because of the tax situation, they decided to leave England. And that's why you get the exile the of Main France. Street. Yep. Yeah. And they were going to go to the south of France to live. Now, Keith Richards rented a villa called Nelcott, okay? Yep. And they would bring that mobile studio truck down to the down south there. of France, yep. all right? 
Keith would live in the house, okay, and they would record downstairs in the basement. And this was an old villa right on the water. I think it was built in 1899. Um, and during the, uh, the Second World War, it was actually used as a Gestapo headquarters. Wow. Okay. And there was lots of, um, wow. you know, things in the basement there. The way the basement was lined up was it was just separate rooms all over the place. It wasn't just one big basement. And they found, like, you know, swastikas carved into the walls and weird shit like that. But you ever heard the story that they had to go to different rooms to get different acoustics? Yeah. Which is yeah. amazing. I find right. that amazing. Now, the rest of the band, I mean, the, the whole thing, how they recorded this was crazy. The rest of the band was living in the south of France, but in different locations. And, uh, you know, Mick had just married Bianca Jagger. She was staying in Paris. Okay, I think they had a child on the way. Um, like I said, the basement was a series of rooms that they were going to use. They were going to run the wires from the truck outside into the basement of this house. And uh, it was hot. It was humid down there. The, the guitars would go out of tune in two seconds. They'd play a song and be out of tune yeah, because of the climate. Uh, it was also a situation where if you were trying to control what was going on, what they were playing, like if you were a sound engineer like Andy Johns, if you had to give a, a direction, you had to go into every room and tell them what was going on, you know? Now, Nelcott uh, was just on the water. It was close to the town. And these recording sessions they would do would generally start around 8 o'clock at night and go to, like, 3.30 in the morning. Oh, they, they didn't stop recording. That's what they did in the house. Like, yeah. Some of the guys said, we would go 24 hours or we would go... Sometimes they did. Uh, you know, and, and everybody was kind of unreliable in the sense that you couldn't get the whole band there in one shot. Okay. okay? But let's talk about how well, fucked up well, was this I mean, who, who <laughs> It was like a drug haven. Keith Richards rented the house, and, you know, this was Keith at pretty much the, the height of his of his heroin addiction. He was he was very heroin addicted at this point. Uh, there was a lot of other things going on, like cocaine, uh, weed, all oh, kinds of drugs were going on. Uh, they were passing around bottles of Jack Daniels like it was oh, water. They had yeah. Jack Daniels, yeah. like they talked yeah. about it. They, oh my God. Now guys like Bill Wyman, in the bass player in the Stones, uh, and even Mick Jagger to some degree, were, were frustrated because it was hard to get everybody together in one spot. The recording, the playing would be in fits and starts. They would work around each other. If somebody wasn't there to do a part, they would come later. So a lot of times, like Wyman would sit out, and and in the, you know, in some of the the, the credits, it's like he's hardly playing at all. Like yeah. you got Keith on bass, things like that. Now there were lots of visitors passing through here during the recordings. You had William Burroughs, you had Grant Parsons, you had John Lennon. Many other people. And it uh, all came by because why? It was the Beatles. The, I mean, it was the Rolling Stone, and these guys had a house that everybody described. It was like a drug haven. It was a drug haven, basically. There was thousands of dollars of heroin going into that house every week. But Keith Richard was like saying that he would go out with his family in the daytime, yeah. this and that. And then everybody complained that Keith Richard would go downstairs to the basement. Yeah. And it was like hours and hours of recording this fucking album. Yeah, I mean, the, the, there were times when Richards was on and they were playing, they would get it down. There were times he was out of it and they'd have to work around him. 
Uh, there were times he was with his family. He had a boat. Yeah. Right? And everyone was like, don't get on the boat with Keith. <laughs> you know, driving around <laughs> on the water right there. Um, okay. Now, I mean, by July of 71, Graham Parker was asked to leave. Okay? Um, <laughs> it's kind of like legendary in a way because he... he you know, he was a friend of Keats, and the amount of drugs they did together is incredible. But even with that, Parsons was asked to leave by Keats because he was so obnoxious. The French police were, were starting to catch on what was going on over uh, there. Oh, and that's it. In these recording sessions, supposedly, and I think Anita Paulenberg uh, is on the record with this, saying, like, you know, you could hear them four miles away in the town. Wow. Okay, so they must have been pretty loud. Um a lot of times, Keith was too wasted to record, but like I said, they, it, it was all worked around him. And this is a Keith album. Yeah, this is right? totally this is a, Keith it's a Richards yeah. album. Uh, but he was like, everybody was playing with him, like to the point that they were like, he would go downstairs and play for hours. Yeah. To the point that he either passed out or they passed out. That's yeah, I mean, they, there, there's, the a, there's a famous story where uh, uh, they were recording something, Andy Johns, the sound engineer, thought they got the take Keith looked like he was falling asleep it was in the middle of the morning uh, early morning I think they had been up all night and uh, he fell asleep and Andy John says alright I'm going to go home and he would have to drive like an hour or something back and as soon as he got in the door Richards was calling him saying where, where the are fuck you? are you yeah. alright I, I got a couple of you know tracks I want to lay down so he had to go all the way back it was like very like they did it once or twice. You know, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Now a track like uh, one of the most famous songs on the album is "Happy," Happy Keith Richards song. song. Oh yeah, and uh, it was recorded when Keith actually showed up early one day for his, for a recording session. All right, and Bobby Keys was on sax, Keith on guitar, and producer Jimmy Miller on drums. That's all you got on that album. Yeah, oh, on that song. I'm sorry, is, is that? Lineup right Every there. Every album changed. Like the lineup changed a lot. Yeah, yeah. Now, "Shine a Light," okay, uh, is also a track that Jimmy Miller played drums on. "Shine a Light" was great. Jimmy Miller was the producer for uh, for the album. He'd worked with them before. Now, Bill Wyman did not really enjoy the recording of this at Nelcott. Uh, the Stones kind of, like I say, they separated into two camps. It was like Keith Richards. Jimmy Miller, Bobby Keys, and Mick Taylor, and engineer Andy Johns were in one camp, and uh, Wyman, Charlie Watts, and Jagger were in the other camp. You know what the difference was? It was who got more fucked up. Yeah, All right? they definitely got yeah. fucked up. Now, I mean, you know, Jagger and Wyman, they would partake in things, but not to the extent of these other guys. To me, my favorite guy is Bobby Keys. Like, Bobby Keys is amazing. Bobby Keys, like, so I got there. I was hanging out. With beautiful French women. <laughs> beautiful Canadian dressed women. Yep. There was music. There was drugs. What the fuck are you going to do? I was like, oh my God. I know. That, that was and he crazy. was like a Southern Cracker type of dude. He was fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was fantastic. Yeah. But this album, like, they sat there. They did this album. Yep. They wrote songs. And this album is probably one. This album was in the UK number one. Mm-hmm. US number two. Yep. Very impressive number. But it, 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 you know, without jumping ahead too much, basically when it came out, it was, it was, it did well, but it then kind of dropped off the yeah. map because it was a double album, yeah. and and it had gotten mixed reviews, and that would change. 
and I'll, will, I'll go into I'll go into that a little bit after. It's one of the greatest albums they took out. It this is album from the head, from the first song to the last song. This perfect. is a masterpiece. It it's is. a perfect it album. Is. Like if you want a rock album, you want to buy a rock album. Go get this album. Yeah. Now, um, by December of nineteen seventy, yeah, you you're out of it, man. You are a long time. <laughs> oh, good. I'm. Oh man, what am I gonna do with you? Pass It'll be out okay. You pass out. I won't pass out, but if you give me some fried chicken. It might be good. <laughs> All right. I was hanging out with Keith Richard before the show. That's he what. I, yeah, he gave you some shit. Yeah. That's good. No, but this is how like. Mike, come yeah. on! Like when you told me about this, uh, that documentary, the exile. People, you guys yeah. got to see the documentary on YouTube about the exile. It's just called Exile, and yeah. it's like uh, you got you got fucking Marky Mark, you got uh, uh, Tuyo Benitos, you got every single actor talking about this fucking Scorsese. Scorsese, I'm like, I was really cautious. Why did the Irish man was so bad, you asshole? <laughs> <laughs> the Irishman didn't win shit last night. Yeah, win nothing. I'm telling you, that yeah. was that as good as people think. Yeah, it was a good. It was like a good movie. It was a good movie. It's not yeah. a great movie. Not it's not one movie. of his best, but it's a, it's it's a great movie in the sense of not too many good movies out there anyway. You know, but so like they left like most of the time when somebody lives in England. Yeah, like a band like the Warriors. So pretty much say fuck you. Yeah. We ain't paying this with you. Yeah. Well, most of these bands disappear. Well, the, the English market is big. Uh, no, but they get destroyed. How yeah. come people would still listen to the Rolling Stone, you know, oh, after they, this? Well, because they were that big. They were that big. They had that, they had that many fans. Uh, they outlasted the Beatles. You know, in, in the 60s, there was this thing like... The music is going to cause a revolution and change the world. Oh, it could have it, been. It, it, never, it never happened. But it and then you had this this decadence that came in in the early 70s, a lot of drugs, a lot of drinking. The Stones were at the forefront of that. And this album, to me, and, and you know, I can't rave more about it because it's one of my favorite albums, but it, it oozes decadence. It oozes heroin. It's like oh, it's yeah. like it's like heroin coming out of the grooves on the record. But this album is like a country album. A it's everything. Album. Well, it's country it's blues, rock, rock and roll. It's like everything. It's, it's got like, everything on it. This is like to and me. It's the, it's it, you know it's got country, but it's Stones yeah, country. It's a Stones country song is just something different. The way the way that they interpret country yeah. music and spit it back out to us, it's a different way. But to me, I think this is a perfect. Album. It is. If you want different gender, you want different music, different yeah. sound. Yep. The stars deliver. Absolutely. This might be one of the greatest albums ever made. That's what uh, I'm I, just I, saying. I mean, it is in the top ten. I would say. It's in the top five for me. Baby. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Now, by December of '71, uh, the basic tracks were recorded at Nelcott, the villa. All yeah. right. And then the band decided to go to Los Angeles and finish up the recordings there. They went to Sunset Sound Recorders for the overdubs and some fine tunings they wanted to do. Now, the story is is that French authorities tossed them out. Yeah. Okay, Mick Jagger says that didn't happen. Uh, Richards is kind of vague on it, but apparently, I think it apparently the French knew exactly what was going on yeah. there. You know, this this place was where where this villa was was wedged in between two drug capitals 
in the in the west you had Marseille, which was a heroin capital. Yeah. Okay. And then on the east, it's not too far from Italy, where you had mafia running things and shit. So you know, a lot of drugs going right through that there area. Drugs going because yeah. the, the guy, the, the, every, most of those guys would say, "Oh, there was so much drugs." They were climbing places like they were talking about the drugs. Yeah. Like these guys were talking about how much drug was there, and you know, the other thing that was there. What? Jack Daniel Blues that drank a lot of whiskey. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like there were empty were. bottles everywhere. Like yeah. I would say. And one thing they were doing too, Bill Wyman points it out in that documentary, is that they, you know, they were tax exiles living in France, but they weren't used to French culture. They couldn't speak yeah. French. No. They didn't like the food that much, and they imported a lot of a lot of food from England over just to because they couldn't get used to everything. It's a big problem. They should have called us. We're professional in French food. Yeah. We go to, we would have ordered them a nice meal. Absolutely. Wee wee wee. Wee wee. Now, Jagger during the Nelcott sessions, he wasn't that involved with things. Um, but when it came to these overdubs, he took over. And uh, he had brought in keyboardist Billy Preston oh, in the studios yeah, and also Dr. John. Okay, on yeah, keyboards to add some ahead. layers, some keyboard layers to the tracks that they already had. Now, during these sessions, they also visited Aretha Franklin. Uh, Mick Jagger went to visit her as she was um, in an evangelical church shooting a film, okay, which became the movie Amazing Grace. It's like a concert movie. Yeah, it was and a good movie. It was an inspiration because when, they, when he saw the gospel music, he said, we could use some of this on the album. Oh, there was four gospel yeah, music. Yeah, yeah. Now, you had, like, uh, Tumble and Dice, Loving Cup, Let It Loose, Let it loose. Shine yeah. a Light. They've all got gospel tinges to them. Um, now, between December of 71 and March of 72, there was a long, drawn-out battle kind of between Mick and Keith as to the direction of this album. Uh, it was a push and pull. Yes. Wyman would 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 lose his mind over it. He would he would be like, I can't take this anymore. You guys are fighting over every little fucking thing. But what they came out with was a double album, which the record company didn't want them to do. Okay, because double albums traditionally don't sell as well. All this right? double this album, double album sold. sold pretty good. Uh, but what you have is a murky, dark snapshot of yeah. the band at that time. Okay, the decadence of what the Stones were living through, specifically Keith Richards, uh, and the sound is a murky kind of production. Uh, Mick is on record saying he hates the production. He, he would does love, hate. He, it. he would. Love, I, I was like I don't agree with by him. that. I don't agree with him. I, I, I he think hated the whole. The album. I thought it was great. I think the whole thing with it really being a bad production is is wrong. No, it's bad. I, you think it's a bad production? No, I think no. it's wrong. I think it's a bad call. Like. First yeah. of all, so they were doing this album. It started in 1969. And they were like, you had a group of people filming that part here. You had another group of people playing on this side. Yeah. You had fucking um, Reachers play here. Then you have Mick Jagger here. Yeah. When you bring something into the studio and everything makes it just right, guess what you have? A hit album. Yeah. And he yeah. was totally... Well, the, you know, I think Jagger didn't have a problem with the songs. I think it just was the sound of the, of the production. Like, if you listen to... Like, I've got right here. This is the, uh, this is the 2010... Uh, you got it right this here. This is the 2010 re-release that has the original album with the original artwork, 
and a second CD of unreleased materials, which is damn good stuff, most of it, okay? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it... Jagger, I think, still says that it's not the greatest album because it didn't have any hit singles, but to me, it's their masterpiece. I think most Stones fans agree with that, you know? Um... There's elements of everything on it. Like I said, gospel, country, blues. There's a little bit of everything in this album. Yeah. This is an incredible album. And there's also something almost sinister about the album. When you listen to it, there's a darkness there underneath the surface. And uh, you can even hear things like, um, you know, bottles clinking and stuff in the background with some stuff. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, Yeah. Now, the packaging of the album would be interesting. Alright, Jagger wanted an album that would kind of show the band as outlaws using like blues music as a weapon. Um, they approached designer John Van Hammerslaw and his photographer Norman Sheaf. And they got in touch with documentary photographer Robert Frank. Alright. Now they would take pictures of them all over the place. Frank would take pictures of them walking around LA, particularly Jagger. Uh, they also used like sideshow freak sideshow pictures on the cover now one guy you can see it here right here this dude that's great that's 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 uh three ball charlie now they on the re-release they made it a bigger picture on the back okay this guy was a sideshow performer that could put three balls in his mouth that's i think it was like a cue ball a baseball and a tennis ball but you know before the album was out yeah. there was like billboard of, oh, yeah, all uh, of that. Yeah, that's what they got it for. And Mick yeah. Jagger was bitching about it. I said, dude, that's a great, you gotta, you gotta, and people talk about the thing. They always talk yeah. about your album. How can you get like that? Yeah, I, I don't know. I think everybody was, was kind of like all over the place. Everybody was really wasted. Everybody was all over the place. Yeah, really, really wasted. Um, they used, uh, they had the, in, in the original album, they had these postcards. Now, it's very hard to find these postcards, oh, yeah, you got some and postcards. I've actually got two of them here. There was 12 that came out with the album, okay, in the original production. Um, and on the back, there's like little, like, wise-ass little Long statements touch. here in the back. Uh, you're supposed to send a postcard with the stones on it to your mother, you know? But uh, it's hard to find those. When they did the reproduction in 2010 on the CD... They didn't do the postcards. I wish they the did. They should have done the postcards. Yeah, time. they were great. Yeah, I know. the postcards were like holy shit. You now, know, you can send it. How? How? Who wouldn't love a postcard to cover a Rolling Stone song? Of course, of course. But I think, to me, I also think that cover was like very controversial. Yeah. Well, it had freak show, sideshow people on it. There was a guy named like Corkscrew uh, Johnny or something like that, or the Human Corkscrew. Uh, controversial they, they've always had controversial album covers there's some girls they got in trouble for that a few years later because uh, they used different celebrities Lucille Ball sued them for using her face on the cover um, May of 72 the album would be released and it was released to mixed reviews right off the yeah, bat people loved it. Yeah, yeah. most people said it was kind of uneven or no direction I think that's the way the album was meant to be direction I think it was because okay. um it was the like these said, little vignettes of, yeah, of, of songs. You know, Lenny Kay, who was writing for Rolling Stone at the time, before he was in Patti Smith's band, um, ended his review saying, you know, the great Stones album 
of their mature period is yet to come, meaning this is not it. Okay, he would change his mind later on. Now, Robert Christigal, who was writing for Newsday at the time, he had a good review of it. He called it a fagged out masterpiece, best album of '72. This was a fucking masterpiece. Yeah. I was born in '72, so this yeah. album was the album. Right. This is the album. You had a record collection. You had to yeah, have. Because it. it was a masterpiece. Yeah. It was a right. There's not a bad song on it. No, there isn't. There's no real hit single, but doesn't matter. Doesn't they weren't. Matter. They weren't going for that. Uh, Tumble and Dice and Happy were released thing, as singles, but they didn't thing sell that a lot. For years, and they didn't care. Yeah. And it's like we're gonna take this album, just like the Street Hot, so we're gonna be as fucked up as we wanna be, and we're gonna take out this album. Yep. And it's gonna be a great album. Absolutely. Now, by the late seventies, everybody would reassess their opinions on this. It was considered a classic. It, it took to a few years, it but it, but you know. Uh, between radio airplay and people finally picking up on it, uh, maybe it was a double album. It was a little expensive when it came out. By the end of the decade, everybody realized this was a masterpiece right here. I mean, because if you look at where they went, and, and set, you know, they start the decade with Sticky Fingers and and Exile on Main Street next. But after that, you know, it's it's kind of like all downhill in some ways, ups and downs. The next album would be Go Ted Soup. That's a good album. Is it as good as Main Street? No. Okay. Uh, it's only rock and roll, black and blue. Some Girls is a good album, but then they ended the decade with Tattoo You, which is to me only about half good. So, you know, by then I think people were looking back a few years and they were saying, you know what, we kind of overlooked that album. That was a really, really good album. Now, also what had happened is uh, Alan Klein, who was their former manager, he sued them over certain tracks that were recorded at Olympic Studios when they were under contract with him. Now, that would be like, I believe, Sweet Virginia, Loving Cup, All Down the Line, Shine a Light, and their version of Stop Breaking Down. Unfortunately, they would be sued and lose that. They would have to give him royalties from Exile because he was still on the contract with them. That was crazy. Yeah. And what he did was he actually used the money he got and put out like another Hot Rocks collection to make even more money. So he ripped them off. But, but it, I think most of the managers that they had ripped them off into and you know what's funny they Until they got under, rid of Klein. They were also under the Rolling Stone level. They had a label for a little while, the Rolling Stones label, yeah. And then I fucked this. Like, it was crazy. It was crazy. Yeah. I just don't yeah. get that. It was a battle. It was a battle over their music. And 2010, the um, the album would be reissued on CD. It had been out on CD before, but they came out with this deluxe edition, like I just showed you right here, okay? Everybody should get this, all right? Uh, it, it, the, the leftover tracks that make the second CD are incredible. Uh, there's a song called Pass the Wine, Plundered My Soul, uh, a song called I'm Not Signifying. Uh, there's like Alternate Takes a Loving Cup and Soul Survivor and All Down the Line. It's like a whole other great album on top of the original album. So I recommend everybody get that. What do you say, Rob? You awake? I'm always awake. All right. That's all I got. That's the album. But we got, now that album, we got so much more. Go ahead, talk. From the, do you think they were you and heroin and all that shit? What they were doing this album? Yeah, they were. He, there was a lot of there was, was a lot of drug talk. Cause there was one point where they came to um, Los Angeles that they stopped 
they were trying to fix themselves. Well, yeah. I mean, going to L.A., they weren't going to have the same... So think about it. They couldn't go back to England because they were no. exiled. No. They come back to Los they rented, Angeles. They rented a mansion in Bel Air. They were all but, uh, in the TS. But yeah. they were there, and it was like, holy shit, these guys are making this album. Yeah. And they were still getting fucked up to the point that I think every everybody went to rehab after a while. Well, Keith would eventually quit heroin about six or seven years later. It would, it would take... Uh, Almost a very, very, very serious arrest that he had gotten in Canada, I think around 77 or so, 76, 77, that would uh, wake him up. Everybody should read his book. It's called Life, he wrote. He got a back. great book. You ever yeah, hear about yeah. his thing about cocaine? If you want to do cocaine, make the purest kind of cocaine, not a dirty cocaine? No. Yeah, no, he wrote like, you can get the pure one. Look at the shit that's all mixed up. Get okay. something that's so pure that... You can do it forever, but when you get the shit that's mixed up, it'll oh. kill you. Well, yeah, because you don't know what it's covered. You don't know what it's covered, because yeah. like, there's people dying all the time. But these guys, think about what they did. Yeah. They left England. Yeah. They went to fucking France. They did this album from room to room, because yeah. they needed certain different sound. It, it wasn't just the, about the sound. It was it was it was like these rooms were small. You couldn't fit small. everybody yeah, in one you room, could. so you had them all over the place. But and then you take this whole album, and yeah. then you go to Los Angeles to finally mix it up. Yeah, and it's a fucking masterpiece. Oh yeah, it just shows how good they are. And then this album was taken to the point that in 2010, yeah, they added ten. Twenty-eight more, years later, they added ten more years songs later. to it. Yeah. What do you think about those songs that they added? I there? think they're great. Uh, Plundering My Soul is fantastic. I'm Not Signifying. Uh, I mean, the production on them are actually good. So they yeah. actually got to a point where they might have included this, these songs on the album. Yeah. But I think they, they really could only do, because of time constraints back then, you could only do a certain amount of songs on an album. But, you know, yeah. they probably ran out of room. So this was 18 songs on the album. And One of the most incredible albums. Yeah. Like, if you are a record person and you, and you think you're a fucking masterpiece, you need to own this album. This Without is a, a must-own no album for any person that's a collector. For any person that's a Rolling Stone person, yep. everybody want to own the White Album, but they never heard it, you need to get this fucking the album. Beatles White Album. You talk about the Beatles? The Beatles, why not? Everybody owned them. I know half of these fucking people have never heard it. Put a bunch of yeah, assholes. A lot of people buy and don't even listen to it. My favorite Beatles album is the, uh, uh, um, uh, the Lonely um, Sergeant Pepper, Lonely Band. Sergeant Pepper's album. That's your favorite? To me, that's my favorite album. It's not mine. I like the, I like the White Album. Uh, I like. Uh, I can I can't listen I like, to a White Album like if I do a line of cocaine. Revol- I like Revolver. Oh, yeah, oh Revolver it, was great. Yeah, Rubber Soul was okay. Uh, yeah, I mean the Beatles is to me it's. If to me, I love the Rolling Stone better well, than the Beatles. Me too. I love me the too. Kings better than Beatles. Me too. The Rolling Stone is one of the. And you know what? They, when they made the fucking. Exile on Main Street. They were already rock star. Oh, they were huge. But they were broke. Because they of were the getting their money fucking stolen also. And also, Alan had Klein a, had ripped them off. Yeah. They had a bad contract. They had a contract so bad that they couldn't even pay their taxes. Think I about mean, they that. would take advance money to live on, probably, that they got from the record companies. 
but they're you know the labels didn't want them to do a double album, but they said no no we're fucking we're doing a double album. They had to. They had to. They had a lot of material. Cause you know what that album did for them? That did for nobody else. What? It's gave them the freedom. They had a lot of freedom. And think about it, these guys are guys from England. They come to Los Angeles and they cut the album. The Los Angeles made an album. Well, they did the overdubs there. Yeah. Yeah. How great was it that they came here did that album? Yeah. And how great is it that um? Fantastic. He fucking he just came and like he mixed it here, and everything came out good. Yeah. Uh, You know, but they they were mixing it for like three or four months. They were also you know, mixing since 1969. 69, and the album yeah. came in 72. Yeah, yeah. And I think this is one of the most important albums for yeah. anybody's record. Yeah, I, I can't emphasize it enough. I mean, everybody should have this fucking album. If you don't have it, you're not familiar with it, just go on YouTube right now. Check out some songs. You no, know, check out the documentary. Yeah, YouTube, YouTube got YouTube, one of right. the best YouTube documentary. Exile is My called. My favorite album. I'm not going to lie to you. I was fucked up for this show. I got lumped up. Yeah, it's all right. It's what we do. I was fucked up like a Chinaman on Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait. Now, speaking of Chinaman, I heard you went to Wohop last night. Oh, it was delicious. What did you have? I had uh, I had the spare ribs. I had the wonton. Yeah. I had the uh, black bean. I had the shrimp and black you went bean. With, you went with Blackman? I went with Blackman. Yep, yep. The black Aquaman. The black Aquaman. We had a good Eric, time. Yep. But, um... I love Walmart. It was great. But, guys, I got to tell you, you got to listen to the show. We're doing a good job. We're doing so much research. Mike is doing a lot of research. This guy's a fucking rock expert. Me, I'm a clown. We love you anyway. But we do what we can, but... You understand the importance of this fucking album? Yeah, definitely. Like, if you're not familiar people, with it, get familiar with it. These people told fucking England to go fuck themselves. Yeah, they did. And made a masterpiece. Yeah. And I don't like the French, but at the end of the day, the album came to those sides it was made, which is like, yeah. I love it. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> right, so what's so, your song of the week for this album? Oh, man. You know, I, 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 I'm so hard to pick a great, a favorite song off that album. Great album. Uh, if I had to pick a, one song... Ventilator Blues. Ventilator Blues. Great song. And it turns out they only did that live one time in their whole career. You know, what's strange about this album is what they immediately after it was released, they went out on tour, but they hardly did songs off it. They would do other albums. They left a lot out. I don't I don't know why. I wanna tell you what, because Mick Jagger did not like the album. Maybe. Maybe they yeah, maybe they just Once wanted to put the Once he made this album, he shitted on this album. Maybe they want he wanted to put the experience behind it, but like Ventilator Blues they did in Canada, I think, one night. Uh it might have been Vancouver, I don't recall. I think it was Canada. Uh they opened the show with the song and never did it again. Now, back in the early 2000s, when uh, the 40 Licks album came out in 2002... That's a great album, yeah, too. They brought back some songs that they hadn't done from this album for a while because they were spotlighting certain albums. Um, during, what was it? Uh, the Martin Scorsese movie, Shine a Light. Oh, yeah, Shine okay. a Light. That was yeah, great. which is a good movie, but... The only thing I don't like about it is they bring out too many people that really have nothing to do with the Stones. Yeah. You know, like there's one where like Christina Aguilera comes out. I don't want to see her at a freaking Stone show. 
Okay, but at the same time, like Jack White. But you know what? She got a great voice, and she was influenced by the strong. All right. Her voice is great. The same thing, like yeah, Jack but, White. Yeah, he loved the Stone. That Jack, guy, well, Jack White that. came. Jack White came out and they did Loving Cup, and yeah. they did a good version of that. Uh, you know, the Stones have been influencing people for over fifty years. That's never going to change. And this is an album I think that if you haven't heard it, you I'm hear sure it. if you're a Stones fan, you've heard it. But if you haven't heard it, even if you're not a Stones fan, listen to it. I it, to me, it's a it's a life-changing kind of album. To me, it's a much-earned album. Like, if you're yeah. a rock fan and you like rock music, you gotta earn... You gotta listen to this album because this album is not only album. This is a gift to the... from the Rolling Stone to you people. Yeah. But listen to it. And it's not a bad song. I, I gotta say, no. this is one of the few... No. You know, you, it's they not have, a bad you know, it's song. On, it's on the jukebox at, uh, at Molly's at International. And I always play tracks from it. Great song. Always. Great album. Always. And like always, Mike, um, what's the song of the week? Well, like I said, the song of the week will be Ventilator Blues. And what's the album of the month? Album of the week, Exile on Main Street. Always. Yeah, gotta be Exile Main Street, a classic. I got a, I got two. You also have a version of this. Do you show the two versions you have? You have the t- 2010 version? Well, this is, has, the 20, this is the 2010 that CD. That has a bunch of other songs yeah, I, I, I mentioned it. Like, if you look inside... You know, you got like one CD of the first out al- of the of the original album, okay, and then they come out with a, a second ten, like CD. Ten songs. Yeah, uh, it's like a whole other album of stuff that they left you out. You know, when I was doing the album on um, on um, so on Apple, they got that album. Yeah. They got the first album. They got that album. They got, they got an album. They got actually twenty eight more songs. That's this. It's a, it's a, it's no, it's, it's a, no, but it's another, no, they got that one, and then they got an album, they got a few more songs and videos. Oh, yeah, they put that documentary in there, I and think. And I was like, I think, holy yeah, shit, a, what the fuck? Yeah, it's like a, I think it comes out, I think there's a set where you could buy with the vinyl and the CDs and the DVD. Yeah. They got the documentary. They got the, whole, they got the documentary. So when you into, I saw the documentary, I was like, motherfucker, man, that was great. Yeah. Definitely. Let me tell you, the Rolling Stone is one of those bands that, and if you wanna if you wanna see what they sounded like live at that era in '72, check out the movie Ladies and Gentlemen, The Rolling Stones. Okay, I've seen that. That's a fantastic. Yeah, I've great. seen that. It's also, great. you can look it up. It's not like an official release because of problems they had, and also the title. But if you could find a documentary called Cocksucker Blues, okay, which is a great fucking movie. It's just another. It's just another you know live movie with stuff behind the scenes in there but there's actually a song called Cocksucker Blues by them too. oh yeah, yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. So, obviously that couldn't be released in the movies but if you could find that and ladies and gentlemen the Rolling Stones has been officially released it's a, it's a great movie and it captures them at that moment uh, there's there's one scene you know where they do Happy and you see Happy, Mick, Mick Jagger and, and Rich is just training the vocals back and forth it's great it's such a great song yeah. Yeah. Um, so to you people, I'm lumped up. He's lumped up. Mike is doing sober January. Yes, dry January. I am not dry lumped January, up. But once again, remember, don't get drunk. Get, get lumped, lumped up, up and listen to the Rolling Stone, you cocksuckers. Mike, you did, you did a great job with it because I was lumped up. Rolling Stone. I still got it here.